Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. You know, I don't know. I'm not hungover today, but I'm just moving a little slow. Obviously, most of us don't get out much anymore. And uh, Chicago indoor dining's at like 50% capacity, and I haven't, I've, I haven't really been going out that much. It was, at least like when things were totally shut down, I thought for sure I'd be like out and about uh, when things opened up a bit, but I really haven't. And I went out last night, I wore heels. I wore a new pair of straight leg jeans that I felt fierce as hell leaving the house. But by the time I got home, they had bagged out. And when I looked at pictures, it was very Joey Gladstone. Um, just was one Mr. Woodchuck away from being a male wearing high-waisted baggy light wash denim in the 90s. I, you know, I think I've said it before. Like, I, I feel like almost... Millennials obsessing over Gen Z saying skinny jeans and side parts are out is the most millennial cliche thing ever. Like for us to obsess and harp over something, especially caring about like what they think of us. And I actually don't even I've never actually seen footage of a Gen Zer making fun of or suggesting skinny jeans are lame. I have seen the stuff about the part. And I think most people acknowledge that your hair part is very much a function of your face, your hairline, whatever. But the skinny jeans thing. I just feel like millennials overreacted a bit and now we're trying on straight leg jeans and being like, I look insane. And it looks like we're all trying really hard to be cool. But, you know, I just feel like the only thing that's like lamer than wearing something out of style is caring that people, you know, 10 years younger than you think you're out of style. The way cooler thing I think to do would be like, you guys don't get this because you're in your teens and 20s. But the great part about being in your 30s and beyond is you don't care what people think about what you're wearing and you don't care as much about what the trends are. You care about what makes you feel best, fits your body well and matches your own personal style. Like the most badass thing you could be doing is owning what you like, not trying to look like you're you know, dressed in costume as a 22 year old. Um, it's for me, I'm on the fence because. I actually want to try straight legs out, not not because I'm worried about Gen Z not thinking I'm cool, but I, I genuinely do like fashion and I, I like trendy pieces, pieces, LOL. It makes me laugh when people call things pieces. I don't have anything expensive enough, I feel like, to be called a piece. So yeah, I, when stuff's like in, I want to try it out, but I have to say in photos, the straight leg was not really working for me. I don't know, just wear what you like, wear it makes you feel good. I like a... I, I need a a tight denim on the waist, like high waist, tight on waist, tight on thigh. I'm okay. Not for, if it not tapers, but like goes straight at the calf. I don't need them. I don't need my ankle landlocked. I, I, I like when it kind of goes straight at the knee and then has like more of a chewed hem. I know Abercrombie has jeans that do this. They don't look very good on me, but a lot of people really like them. I'm a lifelong devotee of the ASOS Fairly jean. Um, there's another one, too, that I'm forgetting about. Anyways, we're not here to talk about jeans. I actually kind of wanted to do an episode about a somewhat niche topic that has a lot of, like, layers and depth and, like, hobby drama. I live for hobby drama. Um, and kind of tie it in with either other, like, niche internet dramas uh, and or some stuff I've crowdsourced recently. Um, but first, this week... <laughs> okay, so there's this thing happening right now 
Remember, I mean, I feel like the gateway drug for me with podcasts was uh, Sarah, Sarah Koenig's serial back in like, what, 2015, 2016? There should be um, a crime drama podcast called Serial, C-E-R-E-A-L, because their drama in the serial world this week is unmatched. I'm a huge fan of serial. Like, I, it's almost a, a problem how much I like sugar cereals. I'm a big fan of a post-cereal uh, milk. I, I'm sure we've discussed this at some point. I controversially think the superior uh, milks, you know, one might think it should go to the obvious contenders like that turn it into a chocolate milk, like a Cocoa Krispies or a Cocoa Puffs. Uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is up there. It's a pretty tasty post-cereal milk. But I actually argue that the unsung heroes of post-cereal milk, no pun intended, is Post's Golden Crisp and or is it? Does Kellogg's or Nabisco own Sugar Smacks? Is the one with the frog. There's the, these like uh, sweetened corn puffs that aren't corn pops, Golden Crisp or Smacks, and their post cereal milk is outstanding. And I just have had trouble over the years standing idly by, by while people are out here over praising like freaking Honey Nut Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios, just like Burger King and just like The Gap, America's backup plan. I just think if you're going to eat a sugar cereal, I just, you might as well go for it. And Honey Nut Cheerios is a weird in-between where it's like Cheerios are not really a first choice. And they always like misled people with the American Heart Association label on the box as if like, I don't know. There, there There's so many issues with cereal and how they tout uh, their contribution to a person's health. Um, in general, I mean, think of the food pyramid, the original USDA food guide pyramid that I grew up with had... At the bottom is the most important thing, 6 to 11 servings a day of bread, cereal, rice, and pasta, like grains to carbs. And it's so crazy to think that this was prioritized over like vegetables. I remember thinking in the 90s, like, chill. If I want to hit my peak of health and wellness, I'll have 6 to 11 servings of honeycomb per day. You know, it just was misguided. And if you even look up the origins of the uh, kind of conventional wisdom that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Like, obviously, it's good to eat in the morning. Like, I, I, the, I'm sure the science is there for mealtimes and having energy and whatever. However, the slogan, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and kind of the culture of breakfast in the United States um, was in, it's largely rooted in uh, mid-19th century uh, by Seventh-day Adventists, who we talked a lot about in the episode, I, the deep dive I did of the Nexium cult right after I went to Michigan and stayed across from this like giant, white, vaguely religious, weird house with no origin that we drove to. And like there was a mailbox with no driveway. Really hard to find like public records and property details on it. Um, and it was like next to this compound owned by Seventh Day Adventists. And then I deep dove the religion because. I've never really known anybody that was a Seventh-day Adventist besides um, Mrs. Kim, Lane Kim's mom, and Gilmore Girls. And uh, then it kind of spun off to me talking about several different things and extremist cults that are branched off of Seventh-day Adventists, one of which being very famous and in Waco. But all that aside, um, I thought it was really interesting that uh, Seventh-day Adventists James Jackson and John Harvey Kellogg, might recognize the name Kellogg, wanted to sell their newly invented breakfast cereals. So apparently this time in the 19th century, there was kind of like a healthier living fad. Um, and 
there were a lot of like religious health gurus that would pop up and they saw whole wheat as a way to, you know, subside health issues. And uh, the first Kellogg's cereal made by John Harvey Kellogg, who was like a super religious dude who believed that masturbation was the greatest evil. And he thought bland, healthy foods like cornflakes could prevent people from doing that. And so it was this weird um, combination of, well, at the time there was like this fear of indigestion that was like becoming a lot more common. Um, And this kind of like religious moralizing rhetoric and advertising that initially helped create this idea of breakfast as being the most important uh, meal of the day. And cereal has kind of been used there. I mean, if you, I don't know if you guys are like me, you ever pop an edible, watch vintage ads and sex ed videos. I do. Uh, and a lot of vintage cereal ads are super, super like racist, xenophobic, problematic. Like I know there's an argument for something being of the time, but like more so than any other ad type I see, serial ads are like shocking to me. And they really um, leveraged an element of maternal guilt in their advertising that's kind of crazy. Um, their coffee ads were really strong in um, like wife guilt, like how you should be making your husband a great cup of coffee tugboat before he goes off to work. And there's like all these crazy videos of men like, yeah, like basically yelling at their wives about how terrible their coffee is. And obviously it's, you know, not the dude's um, tone or way he addresses the issue. No, the wife scrambles off to the store and buys the latest uh, Folgers <laughs> concoction, comes home and her husband's in love with her again. It's, I mean, it's awful and fascinating. Um, and with cereal, a lot of it's maternal guilt in terms of like, uh, if you don't get your kids to sit down and eat breakfast before they go to school, you're like you're a bad mom. And it's the most important meal of the day. So here are these like insanely sugary cereals to kickstart the morning. It's just kind of interesting when you look into it. Um, and the other thing I saw this week about cereals, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, mean to spend this much time on. And I haven't even gotten to the core story. That's just worth pointing out. It's kind of interesting. Is there in the U.S. there are no uh, cereal mascots that are women? I think that's kind of interesting. Even like the Fruity Pebbles. 50 years, they've licensed whatever, I don't know what kind of deal they have uh, with the Flintstones, but Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble have been on that box for half a century. I mean, freaking Dino has his own s'more cereal, but God forbid you give Wilma Flintstone or Betty Rubble their time in the sun. Like, I, I think Bam Bam, honestly, has had more real estate on that box than any of the ladies. And, you know, it's hard to stand idly by while that happens, even though I do really like Fruity Pebbles. And bringing me back to my earlier point, I think that that is one of the uh, best uh, post-cereal milks. I actually, I don't watch The Big Bang Theory, but apparently sexism in the cereal world was first uh, discussed on the show. And uh, the other kind of interesting, like, I mean, there's so many examples of these, but... Uh, it's, it's, you know, if you're ever bored, read a think piece on the M&M mascots. Um, because there's one woman, it's very like Fergie, Black Eyed Peas, Gwen Stefani, no doubt. It's like a lineup of dudes, one woman, and the woman is the sexy one, which it's fine if that's her decision and it's empowering. But in the example of the M&Ms, when sales were flattened in 95, the agency BBDO created these characters and the red M&M was sarcastic. The yellow was just like simple and kind of dense. The blue one was cool. And the green one, the female, 
was the like sexy, seductive one who had um, ads on the back of Sports Illustrated magazines forever taking off her candy shell. And um, she's wearing, she also wears go-go boots, which is just kind of funny. Like, And apparently they couldn't put her in regular shoes like the other M&Ms because it looked like she had cankles, even though they're the same angles as the other M&Ms, but they didn't want the woman's ankles to be thicker. Like, come on, we never stood a chance. Um, and... 17 years later, Mars added a female M&M to the, another female M&M to the squad um, called Ms. Not, yeah, yeah, it's M- yeah, it's Ms. Brown. Uh, Ms. Brown is an intelligent woman with a sharp wit who finally decided to reveal herself after working for decades behind the scenes as chief chocolate officer, is how the New York Times described the newest spokes candy. Imagine that, a woman working behind the scenes for years with no credit. We never stood a chance. Anyways, I keep I keep going, but the uh, I, I'm here for the intersection of discussions of uh, feminism and uh, consumer packaged goods. I ha- it's a person that worked or consulted consumer packaged goods clients for many years. Um, it's it's an interesting field where there's so many iconic brands. I mean, in Chicago, Minneapolis, like Battle Creek. I, I mean, all, there's the Midwest is like a CPG town, basically. Uh, and a lot of the brands are so iconic for their mascot and imagery and just like kind of role in Americana. Like when I went, I had spam as a client at one point and I, I went to the spam museum. I took a picture with a giant can. I was thrilled. I like, I kind of really enjoyed working with iconic brands and seeing what went on behind the scenes. But it is interesting when you think of their broader role in a more manipulative media sense of how their messaging about women's role in the purchasing and preparing of consumer packaged goods to provide their families uh, really influences culture. And thank God we had Meghan Markle in 93 standing up for us on Nick News with Linda Ellerby about dish soap. Perhaps this is my Meghan Markle moment. You know, put Wilma on the cover of Fruity Pebbles. 2024 is my new platform. Where there's a Wilma, there's a way. Uh, let's move on to our next uh, riveting topic. Oh, no, I never even got... Oh, my God. I never even got to the point. Okay, guys, I'm so sorry. Um, okay, so this week, <laughs> a man named uh, Jensen Karp uh, bought a jumbo box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch at Costco. He opened one of the two bags, and when he went to pour himself what I believe was the second bowl, he noticed that there were shrimp tails in his Cinnamon Toast Crunch like dehydrated ones covered in sugar. And he posted it on Twitter and tagged at CTC Square Cinnamon Toast Crunch and assured people like it wasn't a prank. Um, And he posted them up close and they're like so obviously clearly shrimp tails. And um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch was like, oh, we'll look into this. And then like really quickly after said, After further investigation with our team that closely examined the image, it appears to be an accumulation of the cinnamon sugar that sometimes can occur when ingredients aren't thoroughly blended. We assure you that there's no possibility of contamination with shrimp. But it's like, I don't know. I I have a cinnamon toast hunch, if you will, that literally they put no thought into this. They didn't examine it any further except for zooming in on the photo, which we all could do. And if you, they are so clearly dried shrimp tails and they they completely kind of gaslit him 
Um, and it's just like it was really dumb of them to a respond so quickly without. I mean, obviously they would need to like analyze the actual serial itself to have a definitive statement. But I think the most likely scenario is it was tampered with, which isn't their fault. And they could have like concocted some language around it. It's so interesting when people like, I don't know, are so quick to like defend themselves and uh, kind of shame the whistleblower. But I think what was so what was even more interesting is that the guy then tweets, my wife has a stronger stomach than me and checks the other bag in the family pack. And it was taped up and it included what appeared to be like dental floss, which is just disgusting. And he thought he saw like rat feces. Um, anyways, it was this like whole thing on the Internet. And what was perhaps the most exciting revelation is that his wife is Topanga from Boy Meets World, Danielle Fishel. And I, I, I for one, was kind of like, wait a second. Her name is Fishel and this guy's name is Carp. And they're finding a crustacean in their cereal. Like, is this some sort of... I don't know, like phishing scam, which is hilarious because a P-H-I-S-H scam is real. Um, but no, I guess it's real. And it just so happens that uh, to read a tweet that I uh, saw earlier, a man named Carp married a woman named Fischl who found shrimp tails in a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. The cereal was purchased from the Costco on Topanga, Topanga Canyon Boulevard and his wife played Topanga and Boy Meets World. And Carp used to be a guest on a, a podcast called The Pistol Shrimp can't make this shit up it's like when the owner of like the segway company rode his scooter off a cliff and died it's ironic don't you think but similar to um the cinnamon toast crunch gate of it all or the argument of sexism in cereal or whatever like i love pockets of internet drama that kind of fade with time whether it's really kind of ubiquitous and popular you know like a flash in a pan culturally, or if it's like a niche or hobbyist group that's super embedded in the drama, but it just doesn't have like that widespread of reach. And I want to do different episodes like this over time. Um, but I kind of wanted to snorkel through some of them that I find particularly fascinating. And one of these that I find absolutely hilarious is um, candle culture. I've talked about candle culture before. Uh, I'll kind of teasing that I talk about it in a sense, but there's actually like a lot. There, there, it's a really interesting online community and there's like so much drama and different stories with candles. And I promise this won't be boring. Like if you like the dipping sauce episode, you know, I, I like to dive into things that are utterly meaningless in the grand scheme of life this is how this is my escapism is to deep dive somebody else's drama and i guess i also just like the phrasing of candle culture because it sounds like cancel culture um which is something people do ask me a lot about to be fair uh also if you weren't at my live show i talked about this a little bit read my epiphany as it relates to cancel culture i mean it's a topic i'm asked about a lot that i think i have pretty common thoughts on and nothing that like astute i mean on the one hand, I think it's a problem to call general accountability for not being like hateful, cancel culture. But on the other hand, as harsh as the jury of Twitter, et cetera, can be on people and the spectrum of crimes that are that people are charged with, like very. I also think like it's people are so when it's happening, it seems so harsh, and like the person's done. But then people bounce back in a way that I Actually, ironically, think that can cancel culture doesn't always matter. 
I mean, look at Danielle Bernstein. I mean, she's a, like a freaking Robin Hood. She steals from the poor, gives to herself the rich. Like she steals people's designs. She profits off of it over and over and over. And it never matters. She's still thriving. She had to turn off comments on her TikTok, but that's really not affecting her income because she pops up on my For You page a lot. And like her life doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's changed at all. She still seems to be doing well, or at least projecting that that it's that way. Um She's one of the people that, like, do you remember 2016, 2017 was, like, peak secret project culture and peak meetings, meetings, meetings culture? And my argument back, so I actually wrote Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, my book, kind of in out of frustration with, like, a lot of the influencers that talked constantly about how busy they are and about how they were in all these vague meetings. And I was like, who is, who, who is having these meetings? Who was who, meeting in person? I was always confused by that pre-COVID Zoom era. And because I was never like in meetings, like as a self-employed person, I would maybe have calls on occasion, but it was not meetings, meetings, meetings. And I always said, like, I know I'll have made it when I can say meeting, meetings, meetings, meetings. Um, but I can say now as a lot busier of a person and a person who's more in the influencer space, still don't have a lot of meetings. <laughs> like there's, you know, you have calls with brands and stuff sometimes or with, you know, new podcast advertisers. And maybe I just don't understand the demand that some bloggers are in, but like, I just still don't understand meetings, meetings, meetings culture. But besides I've, I've changed my criteria for how I will know I've made it, uh, since then. I'll get that to get to that shortly. Um, but recancel culture. I well, it was something in the context of Meghan Markle, and I talked about this in my live show, and I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, because when, like, I was saying something like, "Why don't people just?" It's like so crazy to me that people go to such great lengths to give all the reasons and explanations somebody's not telling the truth to something inherently unprovable because the person's just, uh, you know, articulating their experience, like their perception of something. And there's really no way to prove like something did or didn't happen. But people are so willing to not especially believe women in so many different circumstances. And I posed this question kind of casually and somebody had DM me like, it's been happening since Adam and Eve. And I have this moment of like, oh, my God, people are out here acting like cancel culture is a product of the late 2010s, early 2020s. But like, literally, God canceled Eve on day one. Like, women never stood a chance. Like, are you kidding me? I I was like, wow, are the entire like gender infrastructure set up since the literal beginning of time for for the people that believe creationism. Freaking Eve was blamed for everything for trying to eat a delicious piece of produce. I'm allergic to apples. I wouldn't have reached for it. Maybe I could have changed the course of history. But I feel like God's cancellation of Eve on the first day that the, the that mankind existed, set a course for women that like w- w- we've never been able to recover from. It is always our freaking fault. And I just think it's important to remember that even in the, you know, whether you believe creationism, whether you think it's kind of a metaphor, a fable, or whatever you want to call it, like the widely accepted uh, Christian origin of mankind and womankind is very deeply rooted in cancel culture, if I'm honest. And I think we need to remember that when we cancel other people. Because it's just like we want to place the blame somewhere. 
And if we're going to place the blame, God forbid it's on Harry for wanting to support his wife and kid and and get out of a toxic situation he's lived in forever where he can't trust the people within his own walls because they leak information and don't defend you know their own kin against racism but defend Kate Middleton against accusations of her you know being upset at a at a flower girl dress fitting like it's it's all so messed up i don't see how people can't side with Meghan and Harry i get that you like the royal family i get that tradition's important but both of these things can be true the royal family can have their uh place and traditionalism um and Meghan and Harry can have had a horrible uh toxic experience and flee <laughs> The royal family, I think, should modernize, but I understand that people don't think, many people think that the royal family, the entire point is that they don't modernize. Like, that's why they're they're who they are and why people fa- are fascinated by them because of this, like, archaic um, structure of, of their long-ruling monarchy. Uh, but anyways, this isn't about Meghan and Harry. I just think it's important. Like, we love to pick sides. We love to cancel but a lot of things can be true at once and people can have differing opinions and the hyperbole of the internet is just mad stressful. And I just, you know, shout out to Eve for taking one for the team. I'm not trying to jest on anybody's religious beliefs, but the way the tale is told, I don't know, Eve was really thrown under the camel. I feel like also I liked, I, I'm very, in, I like the one time I accidentally deep dove Samson and Delilah, kind of like revisiting. I, I think it's interesting to revisit uh, common biblical tales from an adult's eyes because you kind of realize so how much is like implied in these stories and how like I don't know I'm very interested in like biblical legalism I'm very interested in people that take scripture word for word despite centuries and centuries and generations and generations of, of translations language to language I think reading more about um translation experts like linguistic linguistics experts about their take on the bible is really interesting um i think that like there's such an importance of especially the 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 tales that seem more metaphoric that you know maybe miracles happened at that time but maybe it's also kind of meant to storytell or teach a lesson like jonah and the big fish like jonah got swallowed by a big fish if, if you want to take that literally, that's fine. If you want to take it metaphorically, that's fine. But you can't believe that and then laugh at somebody who believes in astrology. Both are outlandish in the physical world, right? Uh, but it's something you believe. And if that's sacred to you and you cherish it, then cherish and respect other people's outlandish beliefs that don't match what we know to be true in this physical world. I think people don't realize that every belief system hinges on something that um is impossible because faith wouldn't be faith if you could see it faith is faith because there's a confidence in it that's based solely off of spiritual comprehension and not tangible proof and those can be intertwined but i just I, that's why i think it's like so interesting when very religious people are quick to dismiss uh Eastern religions, uh, philosophies, you know, ideals and or uh, what's become, you know, cherry picked elements of Western mysticism, which has its appropriative issues and it looks different for everyone everywhere. But there's just a lot of dismissive uh, uh, discussion surrounding people with more new age or um, alternate beliefs. And it's like we 
does anything you believe, it's it's just you believe it. Like the, the, we're all the same in that we don't really have proof, but we are tied to something that's important to us and we're entitled to do that. So just like let people live. Um, I remember always feeling very confused because, you know, in the church of pop culture as a kid, the official slogan of one of my favorite films, Devin's Always Casper, was seeing is believing. But Tim Allen's The Santa Claus makes it abundantly clear that believing is seeing, specifically the elf who, you know, is adorable and brings the hot chocolate to the room the first night Scott Calvin is in the North Pole. Not too hot, extra chocolate, shaken, not stirred. I, I see it. I don't believe it. <laughs> You're missing the point. What is the point? Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And I was like, oh, shit. She just shut Casper down. Like, I remember sitting there thinking that these were literally two opposing statements. And that was so confusing for me. And these were movies I watched all the time at the same time. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why am I talking about this? Wow, wow, wow. Anyway, I didn't mean to go on a religious tangent. I didn't mean to get into Casper or Tim Allen's The Santa Claus with an E. I also should note that I have trouble spelling Santa Claus because I think it belongs with an E because until I was older, I didn't realize the joke was the clause because he was a lawyer. Anyway, um, Sorry, no, he wasn't a lawyer. He was a toy salesman. Oh, no, the Santa Claus was the the binding contract that one finds in Santa's pocket should he fall off the sled and die and disappear. Whew. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, cancel culture, yeah. Eve, God bless. Um, also, any, I, when I thought of that, I was like, somebody's told this joke before, and surely every time you think of a joke, someone's tweeted it. Some guy has, think, has tweeted about even cancel culture before, but still, I just wanted to bring it to everybody's attention. Then at the live show, I think I went into ranking my favorite people named Eve, and um, the, my favorite especially misunderstood people named Eve, the second being Eve of Bug Juice fame. Bug Juice season three, a character named Eve that was kind of portrayed as alternative and promiscuous, was mysteriously sent home from Camp Waziata. No, Camp Waziata was the first year. I don't remember the name of the third year. Uh, and I wanted to know why. I also found a tweet of somebody in 2015 or 16 saying, I must know what happened to Eve. And I put that on my Instagram story last year and somebody who was a camper said it was for smoking weed. Imagine that. Not that serious. I was hoping it was for something juicier, if I'm honest. My third favorite person named Eve is probably Eve Six of Here's to the Night fame and uh, Inside Out fame. You know, ins I mean, Here's to the Night is like, such a slideshow song such a great song for like sisterhood night pref night for the sorority video it's one of those sentimental seductions that makes you overthink the fleeting nature of the present time and make you nostalgic for the very place you're in but i was particularly fond of the song inside out because i would swallow my pride i would choke on the rinds but the lack thereof would leave me empty inside swallow my doubt turn it inside out find nothing but faith in nothing Want to put my tender heart in a blender. Watch it spin around to a beautiful oblivion. Rendezvous that I'm through with you. As a person that likes words, there is a lot of amazing three-syllable words in this song, and I loved this song. Um, I I mean, in it, looking back, it's not that crazy, but I think oblivion and rendezvous kind of blew my mind. But more so than that, you just don't hear the word blender in a song lyric that often. And it, I always thought it was water for my tender, which tracks as an adult that knows that a small boat exiting a yacht is a tender, but it's actually want to put my tender heart in a blender. 
But I actually, when revisiting this song, realized I was thinking more so of Faith Hill's This Kiss, which is a fantastic song for vocabulary words. Uh, I just want to make sure I remember this right. It's the way you love me. It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's, ah, unthinkable. This kiss, this kiss, unsinkable. Centrifugal is an interesting choice because it's an like an outside force. Well, like when something's in a circular motion, an outside force like makes something operate in a path that's consistent in a circle without flying away. And I don't really know what that means in the context of romance. Um, you know, so you're spinning in a snow globe round and round, to quote Taylor Swift, who also likes to use big words. I am still really glad that in illicit affairs, for example, the use of mercurial, a great word, the lakes was just basically um, a Kaplan SAT prep class. The lakes was like calamitous, <laughs> insurmountable elegies and eulogize. She talks about places I don't understand or have never been like Windermere. Um, which I always want to pronounce Vindermere, but I don't know why. It kind of, to me, sounds like one of those urban apartment buildings, like the revelation, the the catalyst, the moment. Like, there's so many in Chicago that are so funny to me. Broker, brokers will be like, oh, have you checked out the two beds at the the imprint? And I'm like, no, Jacob Black, relax. Like, <laughs> I don't want to live anywhere that's branded. I don't want to live in... Amenities buildings are so funny. At this point in life, like, I'm not going to... In Chicago, to pay... a premium to the tune of 500 plus dollars a month for a pool or a roof deck is insanity. It's never warm here. <laughs> but that said, in peak COVID, I was so desperate for a swimming pool. I almost used that app where you can rent other people's swimming pools by the hour. And I was literally going to go to like a random suburb and sit in a tank pool in an unkempt lawn and pay somebody like $200 for it, just a stew in a hot bath. Because <laughs> it seems so glamorous to swim in a pool. So what the hell do I know? Okay. I was at high rises. Vocab words Taylor Swift uses because I was at Eve 6 because I then Eve, the other Eve, then Eve getting canceled. Cancel culture. Yes, we're back in business. <laughs> I was talking about cancel culture. Oh, yeah, because, well, I was leading somewhere, but took a 16-minute detour. I was talking about how meetings, meetings, meetings culture and secret project culture used to be, like, the signifier for influencers that they've made it. Um, and it, I, my, in my criteria for how you'll, you'll know I've made it um, has changed since then and actually continues to change. I love objectively viewing these like mile markers for when people start to have FU money, as you know. Well, I was thinking it was uh, chompers, like veneers and hair extensions, but then I got hair extensions because the person who does my hair, Natalie, I went to her before my live show. She's like, you should wear these at your show. And there were like these beautiful, long, straight hotheads extensions. And uh, I was like, uh, I felt like a new woman. I mean, I was Marsha Brady swaying my head back and forth around town. But, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't feel that different. And chompers are tough, too, because my parents spent so much on orthodontia. And I also, I don't know, I'm a little freaked out by the idea of having, like, pearly white perfect teeth because I find with influencers, bloggers, entertainers, personalities, they've, they'll redo themselves so they look good on camera, which makes sense. 
And in HD, it looks great, but in person, they look weird. Some people's veneers in person are alarming and they look like cartoonish versions of humans. I still want to look like a natural version of myself. So I don't even know if chompers are the goal anymore. Um, I asked you guys on Instagram what, you know, like influencer status symbols existed that would make people, you know, like what's a sign that, you know, an influencer has made it. And I want to go through these on this episode a little later uh, because this all like ties into each other. One of these things that ties into me wanting to talk about niche internet drama and also one of my signs I've made, like for me, true luxury is less about buying really nice, obvious, singular, high price point purchases. Like I wouldn't, a G-Wagon doesn't excite me or motivate me, but not worrying about like DoorDash fees does like not blinking for buying an economy plus ticket. Uh, like <laughs> last year I bought bath and body works, three wick candles outside of a sale. And I was like, fuck, am I rich? <laughs> I usually wait for the sales. I, it's, it's, it, 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 it they're like 24 50 or like three for 15. I'm like, how does that, I don't understand. Like, in general, I could talk about Bath and Body. I mean, I have an episode called Bath and Body Jerks. But that, you know, it's it's less of an insult to the company as a whole and more of a direct insult to the people that worked at the Regency Mall Bath and Body Works. Because when I was 13 and would take my allowance money there, you know, r- rule number one of the mall is you don't leave the mall empty-handed. But when you only have $5 to your name, what are you going to buy? A Bath and Body Works hand sanitizer. Where do they keep them? In those bins, in those barrels. Because Bath and Body Works in the 90s essentially is a cracker barrel for your nose. And like the Diddy Kong I was, I just was like <laughs> tossing barrels, trying to dig my way through to find any other scent than sun ripened raspberry or country apple. But they, it was always so picked over and those were always the only ones left. And like, you, you know, I, I don't have to tell you guys that sweet pea and like cucumber melon are the official hot girl scents of 90s hand sanitizers, lotions, and body splashes. But I actually, I think for hand sanitizers, the most seductive scent is obviously warm vanilla sugar. There are a few things that make me spiral with nostalgia than catching a whiff of that warm vanilla sugar high, which does sound like Harry Styles' watermelon sugar high. And I actually do have a a candle-related Harry Styles anecdote. Um, But... And now, sorry to now make you all never be able to hear the same thing again, but somebody pointed that out to me, uh, like last year when it came out, I think somebody DM me and was like, doesn't it sound like he's saying warm vanilla sugar? And I appreciated them reaching out to me to like address this as like a huge Bath and Body Works fan. And it was never the same. You'll never unhear it again. And I, you know, you're welcome. Uh, but I wish that's what he was singing about. How cute was he at the Grammys? Um, oh, the Harry Styles uh, anecdote is that, Allegedly, his favorite candle is Tom Ford Tobacco Vanilla. It's $98. And then somebody like in his fandom found out that there was a Target candle that smelled, maybe it was Walmart, some candle that smelled similarly, but I think it got taken down or something happened because the reviews were like, this doesn't smell like Harry Styles. And it's like, one, no one ever said it did. Something got lost in translation of like, this is his favorite candle. This is his favorite scent. Not this is his scent. And also, how would you know how Harry Styles smells? I mean, I can imagine. 
Um, but that just <laughs> made me laugh. I, I think uh, I'll get into luxury candles in a second. That's a whole different ballgame. But yeah, I'm uh, Bath and Body Works used to be White Barn, right? And now, and then they since um, have made them all like an in-house brand. I am a I am a devoted sniffer of winter, of leaves, uh, and of sweater weather. Those are my three candles. Those are my three wicks that I binge. I really think that they are are deserving of the hype. But I mean, there's so much drama with candle culture. How where do I even begin? Um, well, for one, in 2012, there's this like infamous viral candle rant I'm going to play you a clip from because it is so effing funny. And I feel like this is one of those internet subculture dramas that like kind of went away. It's like I, whenever I think of things that kind of flash in the pan are exciting and go away, I think of like Alex from Target or Ken Bone or The Dress or Yanni and Laurel, you know. Um, but I feel like viral videos like these, unless it's like David after Dennis, people forget about them. And I just, this woman's Bath and Body Works candle ran is so funny, so terrifying. And it's probably the reason I've still never really vacationed in Wisconsin because she just, she just kind of terrified me. Um, I'll play that in a second. Um, but interestingly enough, so retail obviously was like struggling big time in 2020, but Bath and Body Works was thriving. In, at the end of October, it had racked up $3.7 billion in sales in 2020, which is up 20% compared to the same time the previous year. And it did that despite closing over 1,600 stores. I think I remember reading that they didn't have the same frequency of sales last year. So they were full price, like way too much of the time. And then the, <laughs> in December, like I guess every year they have Candle Day. Uh, and then when their, th- their three week sale happened in conjunction with candle day online, all of their candles showed up as sold out and in the candle community was up in arms because I mean, like in, in peak holiday season, there's no way every single watermelon lemonade three weeks going to be out. I, I honestly don't know if anybody's been racing to the juniper breeze since like 1985. I mean, no offense if you're team Jay breeze, but I'm not one to talk. I I didn't finish my story earlier. It's not a story at all. The whole premise of the episode Bath and Body Jerks was that they always would accuse you of shoplifting when you were digging through the barrels. And like, no, I just was digging through their garbage scents that I didn't want. And I wasn't trying to pull a fast one on anybody whatsoever. What ended up happening is I had to kind of settle for my entire routine to be Moonlit Path, which... It's a scent I'm nostalgic for till this day, and I will defend it because a lot of people don't like it. And to be fair, it was a bit musky for a 12-year-old. But I don't know. It's nostalgic. To this day, it smells like, you know, lavender, musk, hints of vanilla. I don't know, crippling insecurities, aggressive orthodontia. I can still smell the loose change in the mall fountain. I I was a big fan of Moonlit Path. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, the Bath and Body Works controversy. Yeah, basically, their uh, their sales skyrocketed last year because of the pandemic, and uh, they weren't having as many sales. So, like the diehards were already frustrated. Then Candle Day came, and they didn't. They labeled every single candle on their website as sold out, forcing you to go if you want. So most like candle enthusiasts in the candle community, Bath and Body Works specifically, they will like majorly front load their season at these events. Um, 
but you can usually do it online. And we were in a pandemic, but kind of artificially selling out their website inventory to get people in a pandemic to go to the store and like fight tooth and nail for candles, a thing that people are going to pull down their masks to smell uh, was a problem and was a great controversy. And the joke is people were way more mad about not having access to some of their seasonal favorites than they were about the you know rampant contagion. And I saw this video back in December, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Um, not to laugh at this person's expense. His name is Rich Lux. He's very upset with Bath and Body Works, rightfully so. But the 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 way he's expressing it is just it's so good. Um, I'll put the link in my episode notes. I'm just gonna sit here and play clips of it. Uh, hopefully, drive traffic to it. If anything, not to take his audio, but uh, I just like, I need you guys to understand the passion of the candle community. Like it's nothing to sniff at. Nailed it. The YouTube candle community is upset right now. It, it's, uh, you go to Bath & Body Works. I have the receipts. I'm pulling up the receipts. You go to Bath & Body Works website right now. It says annual candle day event in stores Friday through Sunday. I thought I was going to load. I had it in my mind. I'm going to go online today, a few minutes ago. I'm going to go on Bath & Body, Bath Body Works. Stop busted ass. Bathandbodyworks.com, and I'm going to order my favorite candle, Twisted Peppermint. It's that time of the year. It only comes out this time of year. Twisted Peppermint is the holiday candle. And Bath and Body Works ruined my Christmas. And the candle community is not having it. The candle community, we need to get together all rise up as a nation and write Congress that this is not fair. That every single candle that you have on your website is completely, even the one nobody wants. The watermelon one, nobody wants watermelon candle, lemonade, nobody wants that, it's sold out. Even the busted ones nobody wants is sold out. Strawberry pound cake, sold out. Sweet cranberry pie, Sold out. You're sold out of every single candle online. That's a lie. I don't believe it. Yeah, that's a, that's false advertising. I'm gonna sue you. That is a lie. So now, during a pandemic, the only way for me to get twisted peppermint is to physically get my fat ass up. And go to the busted ass Bath and Body Works and buy Twisted Peppermint, which means I have to wait in a line during a pandemic. Literally, who, who does that? Who does that? Who are you? I don't know her. Like, why? Why? You're telling me, girl, Cactus Blossom? Cactus Blossom is sold out online. Nobody even wanted it to begin with. Who's buying it? There, that's it. I just, that's it. You're canceled. See what I mean? Can cancel culture has nothing on candle culture. I really hope they write Congress. I'd be really interested to see the outcome of that. But the video that will haunt me forever that I alluded to earlier that's iconic in the candle community and kind of in the internet community 
you might be familiar with the town of Appleton, Wisconsin, where <laughs> a young lady named Angela, um, who at the time I believe was a candle vlogger, she reviews, she's still on YouTube, she still reviews different stuff. Um, and her, her YouTube's name is AZ for Angela. Um, and there's this rant where she is trying to get her mitts on her favorite candles and the store does absolutely nothing wrong, but like they're, they're just like doing their best. <laughs> and she legitimately, she thinks she, she thinks she's honest. something. she thinks she's uncovered a crime ring. She thinks that she is going to call out and get this woman fired because she was so deeply wronged. And it, the sense of entitlement is astounding the rage the topic at hand like the uh, it's this woman invented karen like a, karen was born in 2012 with this bath and body works rant it's like you know maybe it's karen's kid sister it's like barbie and skipper this was like this is the first example i remember of like viral aggressive behavior toward customer service and i just have to place one for you sorry these clips are kind of long but like they're, fun. They're so funny. I just want you to hear them. So in case you aren't familiar with this, this is called I Might Boycott Bath and Body Works Rant. Hello, everybody. This is going to be extremely explicit. I'm sorry. Don't hate me. I just realized we're 50 minutes in and I haven't thanked our advertisers who help keep this podcast afloat. Uh, thank you for supporting my livelihood. And I first want to Thank none other tugboat. Dude, you gotta stop doing that. Can you hear him snoring? It's so loud. <laughs> I know I could m remove him, but he's just also cozy. And I just, I don't know, I, I like spending time with him. Uh, but relevant to um, Sir Snores a lot, uh, I wanna thank Scouts Honor, which is one of this week's sponsors. As pet parents, working from home has given us, you know, more time to spend with our four-legged family members. I don't know if yours are as clingy as mine is, but mine doesn't seem to understand that I have to leave my house at some point. He's too used to me being around. But I've become more aware of his, his needs, health issues, his well-being. And Tugboat is always super fidgety, itchy, doesn't like to be touched. He's, I never really knew why. Um, I just kind of assumed he was finicky because he has a lot of weird quirks. But upon using Scout's Honor, my go-to pet brand for grooming products that helps with itch relief, odor control, and an overall healthier skin and coat, um, I didn't really realize I think he wasn't reacting well to the products and solutions that he'd gotten at the groomer or what I had been using to detangle him. And Scout's Honor, their probiotic grooming products are a scientifically proven natural solution for treating your pet's skin problems. When applied to the skin, probiotics support healthy bacteria and fight against bad bacteria that causes irritation. And, and the, the thing I'm the most obsessed with, obviously, besides the health of my young son, um, are the scents. Because the, the one I love is called Dog of the Woods. And it's almost confusing. Like, he smells like a handsome man. <laughs> like, he, it's, it, it doesn't smell like dog. It's like a great woodsy scent that I, I don't know. It's outstanding. Uh, I know the fragrance isn't supposed to be the main point, but I just have to hard sell. The, the, they have honeysuckle, too. I'm a big fan of Dog of the Woods. And with every purchase, Scouts Honor provides one day's worth of meals for a rescue animal in need. And with Scouts Honor, your pet will never look, feel, or smell better. They have all sorts of products from um, probiotic shampoos and conditioners to grooming essentials, uh, deodorizers. They have cleaning products. They have hotspot gels, um, detanglers, like I said earlier. They're 
all of your dog's grooming needs in one place. Um, and I'm going over time because I, I just genuinely like the product. But if you want to try Scouts Honor to receive 20% off your first order, go to scoutshonor.com slash be there in five. Remember that's Scouts with a K, S-K-O-U-T-S. Scoutshonor.com slash be there in five for 20% off your order. Scouts Honor, natural and preventative grooming solutions for pets. Now for a solution for grooming for me, um, for human people. Um, the, the next sponsor is Nutrafol. I've uh, worked with Nutrafol for a while. It's a product I genuinely love in a category I never really pursued to before or thought to pursue. Um, but 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And uh, I, me being one of them, and I felt like throughout my 20s, especially into my 30s, my hairline was kind of like receding. And I was just shedding all over the place. But thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol, with many users raving that the supplement not only transformed their hair, but restored their confidence too. And I, when I was at the salon recently, um, I asked my hair person about it. And she was like, this is, it's basically like the only good one on the market. Like, because Nutrafol is... Uh, 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals. And she was explaining how it's that they the formula addresses like the triggers of hair loss, like stress, dieting, overstyling, environmental toxins, hormones, etc., instead of just like the hair itself. And it kind of just, yeah, it supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting these five root causes of, of, of thinning. So anyway, I was just excited to hear from a hair professional that they also endorse it because um, I am certainly a fan. I think around the three to four month mark is when I started to notice a difference, especially with like the thickness, fullness of my hair. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. More than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BETHEREIN5 to save 20% off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code BETHEREIN5. Okay, so toward the end of this, she gets like way more explicit, so there are curse words just to warn you. Um, but it's like a 10-minute long video, and it was kind of hard to cut the audio. Basically... This woman named Angela, um, she lives in Wisconsin, and she says 25 million times. She's talking about the Appleton, Wisconsin store. And now she's, like, been calling around to Appleton, Oshkosh, Fond du Lac, because she has her eye on these two three-wick candles that I guess are highly coveted and hard to get. Winter candy apple and iced gingerbread. She is called has called around several times, specifically calling this Appleton store, who keeps saying they don't have them. She finally allegedly nicely says, well, can you just call me so I don't have to keep bothering you? Uh, it, it Like when you have them and no one calls her, but her and her mom were going shopping in Oshkosh at some point. And so that morning she calls the Appleton Bath and Body Works and much to her surprise, they, you know, they have her two candles, but they tell her they're like in an offsite, like, storage place and they have to go get them and bring them to the store but it only takes 10 minutes and she's like cool i'll be there in a half an hour um and this is what happens i get to appleton my mom does all the shopping she spent probably like 60 dollars, i would say um getting stuff so my mom gets stuff and i go up to the register with my two candles and my mom did her transaction first and I'm like, hi, I'm like, I was the person who called. Um, can you please, um, you know, get my candles because I'm just going to exchange them. And the woman looked at me really funny and she's like, 
She was, she was really a bitch to me. The woman, the first woman who helped me out, she had blonde hair. I don't know her name. She leaves and goes to get the manager, comes back and says, they're not in the store. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I just, I just talked to somebody like a half an hour ago and they said that they were going to get them right away and come back. She's like, we didn't leave yet. And I'm like, you didn't leave yet. I'm like, I called about a half an hour ago. I'm like, they should be here. And she said, I, we've just been really busy. I look around. There's barely anybody in the freaking store. There's barely anybody in the store because Packers are playing today and everybody is at home watching TV where I probably should have been. She said, let me talk to my manager. So she goes back, get talks to the manager, comes back out and she's like, okay, well, the girl is leaving right now to get your candles. Um, so yeah, the girl's leaving right now. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, well... I'm not going anywhere else in the mall. I'm here just for the sole purpose of getting these candles. So I'm going to wait right here. Waiting, 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 waiting. About 15 minutes later, Miss Jen, manager Jen, comes out and says, I am so, so sorry. I honestly thought that we had your candles at our off-site store but we only have the small four ounces in. And I said very calmly, what do you mean you don't have them? And she's like, we, we just don't have them. She's like, I'm sorry, it's my mistake. So then I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I guess I'll get my peach Bellini candles back. And then she's like, okay. So she walks all the way around, gets my candles, as she's packaging them up, I'm like, okay, I'm like, I don't want to be rude or anything. I said, but I think I deserve something. I'm like, if it's a free item or a gift certificate or something for what just happened here, I said, because I have been on you guys for a week to try to get these candles. And with you telling me that they were here and I came and I carted myself and my mother all the way to Appleton to get these mother effing candles I didn't say that. I'm thinking this in my head. This is all going on in my head. And I had a very pleasant face when I was talking. So you know what? You know what Jen says to me? You know what this goddamn Jen says to me? I can give you some coupons and put these in your bag. And I said, Jen, I have every single coupon that Bath and Body Works has. I said, I have about 10 of them. I don't need any more coupons. I said, can you give me something else? Something? She takes my original receipt from my peach bellinis, takes it out of the bag and says, there's an 800 number on the top of this receipt. And when you call, you'll get a live person and you can explain to them what happened. And I'm sure they'll be able to help you with something. And I said, a live person? Who the fuck do you think I'm talking to now? Am I talking to you who is not really here? Are you reality? Because I thought you were a live person. Are you not a live person? I left out the F word. And she looked at me and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't help you. And I said, 
give me my candles now. And she kept on apologizing. And I said, I want to leave this store. Give me my candles now. Meaning my peach bellinis. So she gave me my peach bellinis. And I was on my, my merry fucking way. And that bitch, Jen, you know what I'm going to do, Jen? I'm calling your district manager. I'm telling them what happened and what you did and how you fucked up. And I'm telling them how that other blonde girl was rude to me. I'm telling them, Jen. Oh, Jen, your ass. Your ass is going to get reamed. It was just a really, really bad situation that ended badly. Please share this video with everybody so we can know, have everybody know in the state of Wisconsin and around the whole United States that Jen from Appleton wants to check her shit out. And people ask me why I wanted to get out of e-commerce. You guys, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's also like horrifying behavior because when you really break the situation down, she wanted special treatment and first dibs on candles that were high in demand and low in stock. The person doing going out of their way that didn't even need to do this checks the offsite place offers to go for her, but just didn't realize it was the wrong skew and it was the smaller candle. So even though there was a small mistake made in the type of candle they had access to, and they didn't go as fast as they said they could, there's no crime committed here because they were already doing you a favor. And this is the whole beggars can't be choosers thing. It's like, okay, I get that you're frustrated and you came all this way, but they do have a version of the candle and she never even had to do this in the first place. And why do you feel entitled to first dibs on the candle? And why do you think that the people that work here should go out of their way to have to call you to tell you when it's here? It's the, the the scariest part for me that truly haunts my dream is my peach bellinis. <laughs> I was like, oh, when I talk about Eve getting canceled for eating the apple, it's no different than Jen from Appleton getting canceled for misleading information about the winter candy apple. These goddamn apples, because women are just as guilty at times of, of uh, sexist rage toward women, disproportionate to the crime allegedly being committed. You know, calling her a bitch and stuff. It's like she was literally just doing her job. Like, why? Uh, it, uh, the, I experienced this so much when I had an Etsy shop. And actually, I'll, I'll say my more serious commentary for later in the episode. That was like, it's funny because that, that video is funny on so many levels because it's just so intense relative to the subject matter but it was also slightly triggering just in terms of like that that in 2012 was like shocking but that energy of people feeling so entitled to everything being the way the exact way they expect it to be aligning with their preferences of like blowing your shit up if you aren't meeting all of their hyper arbitrary specific criteria is something so present in this day and age i don't even mean like toward me but um it's just like i was thinking a lot about this with Meghan markle with chrissy Teigen just quitting twitter with the environment we're fostering uh where we think that we're allowed to spew such um uh negativity and hate toward people that we're inadvertently 
um, creating an environment where new talent can't thrive because the people you would want in the higher echelons of influence, again, not talking about myself, I'm talking about like high levels of influence. When we like think people are the worst and we're like, how are they still popular? Everyone hates them. They had to turn comments off. I'm like, people aren't getting it. The reason the same people thrive that like suck at the top is because you almost in order to to handle the 24 seven feedback loop of anything influencer adjacent at that level, you'd have to be self unaware, shameless, unempathetic, unfeeling, like the type of uh, like empathetic people that can care about their constituents and have great values and are socially conscious. And the type of people I want to thrive are also the type of people that would never survive the uh, influencer environment now, just in terms of the level of vitriol that exists within audience feedback and the comfort level people have with just tearing you apart, giving you one star, like just destroying you uh, just because something didn't go their way. And it's like shocking. And and I'm thinking about this too, because Nora did a really interesting Instagram story about this today. Um, But anyways, let's get back to that later because I want to have that uh, broader conversation about this, but it's hard to, because people think that I am like, trying to deflect hate from myself, but I, I by and large have had a very positive experience, but not with, not with when I had an Etsy shop and was providing a good or service and people talk to me like general customer service. And I have a lot of thoughts on that, but also it's kind of this irony where we want to see this certain type of person thrive in social media, but normal, well-adjusted, self-aware people would quit while they're ahead. And we're not creating a hospitable environment for, new diverse talent because the expectation, the default assumption is that it's acceptable and normalized for this person just to get a level of hate that truly your average normal person would never ever accept nor be comfortable with on a given day and would sooner switch careers than tolerate it. I would. Like I I I I don't do not envy Chrissy Teigen's level. Like I don't think there there's all those studies that say like at a certain amount of money you don't get incrementally happier and like i believe that and it depends on what you value in the stability of your mental health like i know mine couldn't survive it i'm not saying i don't want to be successful and do well but i am saying that like i don't think that i don't desire a level of fame where i'm um commoditized to a point where uh i'm dehumanized and people think they can speak to me like i'm not a person um, I would never, I would never be able to survive that. And I think that's why I'm like empathetic toward people like Megan. Um, because that what's unfortunate is that that creates an environment where you don't read anything. And a lot of it is positive. It's like Taylor Swift turned off the comments in 2016. <laughs> that sucks. So many people love you. And like, I think she got kind of, uh, had some really negative interactions on Tumblr and she doesn't, and, and, you know, have any exchange there anymore. And I think it's ironic too, because sometimes the people that love people the most nitpick them and are the harshest. And they're the ones that are responsible for people no longer engaging with, with their own fans. Um, And I just think people need to be careful with, I just, I hope for everyone that everyone's critical toward a nitpicking, you are equal or greater uh, uh, extending your efforts uh, to, support people and reassure them and lift up the talent you think belongs in that space. Uh, Cause otherwise like p- people just aren't quick to say when they love something, but are always telling you when they hate it. So it's disproportionate uh, to the creator. And it seems like a lot more people hate you than probably do. Anyways, it's just an interesting conversation. That's like difficult to have. Cause it sounds like I'm talking about myself and I'm like half, I have some experience, but honestly, like not really because I, I think 
at the big influencers at scale. Like I just can't even, cannot even imagine what that's like. You'd open your phone and have antagonizing, hateful commentary 24 seven. It would be horrible. And people think like money offsets it, but like, I disagree. No, no G wagon is going to make my skin thicker. I'd still be sensitive as hell. I'd just be riding in style and crying. It doesn't sound more desirable to me. <laughs> Trust me. I, there's like, I, I separate, I almost separate like success from, uh, feedback and access. Like I think I, who doesn't want to be successful, have their product, their output, their stuff well known. But I think social media just enables a level of access to people that people have to really consider if they have the um, st- like endurance, emotional stamina to uh, be able to handle how um, p- people like Angela, the Angels of the world, uh, feel comfortable just eviscerating you if you don't meet their highly specific needs that they weren't even aware of in the first place. <laughs> um, anyway, you guys. But yeah, the Bath and Body Works, I mean, commentary on this topic was wild. Uh, the more I read about like uh, the, uh, that people talking about Bath and Body Works and this controversy, I mean, like, I was reading an article about this. One candle enthusiast, Marcy Alvarez of El Paso, Texas, she was one of the pre-dawn line waiters uh, showing up outside her local store by 4.15 a.m. for the 5 a.m. opening. They were only allowing 25 people in at a time, and she wanted to be in the first group. She's been to three consecutive annual candle days and knows the ropes. The 28-year-old 20, is a bartender who's been out of work since March because of the pandemic and the mother to a young son. Her husband is a frontline healthcare worker. Alvarez says she doesn't leave the house much lately, but she made an exception for candle day December 4th. If I can have one thing this year, let me have candle day, you know, Alvarez said. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Bless her heart. Bless her heart. Marcy, if you're out there, I understand your plight. It's just very dangerous. And it's frustrating that Bath and Body Works didn't, uh, I, I, I can't even believe they didn't move all of their stock to out of store. I don't understand that tactic at all. And I feel like it didn't get enough uh, press how much they blew that. <laughs> There's a lot of puns here. Uh, earlier, I almost apologized for waxing poetic about candles. <laughs> but I stopped myself, but here we are. But Yankee Candle is not void of controversy. Bath and Body Works has their own issues. Yankee Candle, I guess, had horrendous like shipping delays. And the reviews they were getting in late 2020 were like, Yankee Candle, I am so over you. Poor throw scent, nasty soot, uneven burning equals lost customer once and for all. I am not looking back after 30 years of buying your candles. You are not looking for loyalty, but profits. Uh, knock, knock, who's there? Capitalism. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Shame on you. Your task is so simple. Make quality candles. You are not doing brain surgery. I will stick to Goose Creek or Better Homes and Gardens candles. You are dismally, and in my opinion, intentionally failing all your loyal customers. Shameful and abominable business decision of the executives and management personnel of your company. Goodbye. Like we say in Facebook groups, this is in an airport. You don't have to announce your departure, but okie doke. Um, people were pissed. And Yankee Candle, like, so there was somebody that did a study um, that collected data across a bunch of reviews, which is kind of interesting with COVID and noticed that like on average candle reviews on Amazon from 2019 to late 2020 dropped a full star and did this analysis where like people can't smell. You probably have COVID. People are like, I've, I, I am putting my nose inside this, you know, hurricane like I'm in. Is it an anteater or an aardvark? Who has a long nose? I think it's an anteater. 
And I can't smell a thing. They're like, I'm swallowing the wax and I cannot taste or smell. It's just like, oh my God, you have COVID. And I'm not laughing at COVID, but laughing at like the, 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 this industry is thriving while simultaneously having disproportionate reviews of people that can't smell well because the reviews are about smells. And I think that's why I like candle culture so much is because it's like, it's kind of like perfume too. It's, it's so interesting to buy something off the internet that you can't smell and have people describe it to you. And my favorite is when it's like super douchey. Okay, like let's can we move on to luxury candles for a second and then I'll get into the other topic. Um, you know, I often refer to my fake child when I'm talking about something hypothetically, uh, her name being Diptyque. I think that uh, Diptyque candles are an influencer status symbol since the beginning of Pink Peonies, really. Like the, the early 2010s, the Baez candle, B-A-I-E-S, uh, it was the who's who of vaguely French berry scents in vignettes with peonies, with mason jars, with wick trimmers, with a stack of, you know, fashion books, maybe a Tom Ford hardcover. Um, this Baez candle, I really don't know how to say it. I'm not exaggerating. Okay, I just looked it up. It's Bay. Didn't see that coming. Very, very early. Like what? Is that like such a 2011 word? Um, The... And this is a very 2011 candle, but it smells fantastic. And it's it's a great candle, to be fair. But, like, I'm not messing with you guys when I say I was obsessed with early 2010s blogger culture. I got my ass to Paris. I went to a diptyque store. I bought a tea candle for 65 euros. That's a lot of money. I have, to this day, it is, I have not lit this diptyque bay candle because I, I kind of didn't even realize what I was doing. But, like... A, it's a souvenir. B, it's a symbol of like, you know, FU influencer success. And C, uh, it was so expensive. The thought of lighting it, it's like the anxiety of me watching it burn down isn't worth this, this the throw, which is the term for the scent a candle gives off in your home. A cold throw is the scent of the candle not burned. A hot throw is the scent of the candle when it's burned. The throw of candles vastly varies, and I really strongly encourage you to read in, into the depths of candle reviews because um, uh, when you look into candle culture, I think I talked about this on an episode once, but like there, there's a whole thing you got to do. Like when you first burn the candle, it has to burn for two hours. The whole top has to be liquid with wax, and that's the only way it'll burn evenly, evenly in the future. You have to trim the wick to a quarter inch or so. It'll help it burn more slowly and, uh, you know, avoids the smoke marks if you don't want to dirty your, you know, 65 euro candle. Um, but you can't burn it for more than three to four hours at a time is the key. And the little ones are more like one hour at a time. And after you blow out the candle, you are supposed to realign the wick. Uh, this is all to avoid the, uh, you know, mortal sins of, of candle culture being like tunneling, for example, when the wick doesn't fully melt, uh, like into a pool in the candle and leaves a ring of unmelted wax on the sides. Can you imagine? Uh, but yes, I, I am particularly, uh, hung up on, well, this is another candle culture term of the hang up, the, the unburned wax that remains on the outsides of a container of a candle after it's been burnt is the hang up, which I don't want. But I'm also hung up on the scent throw because uh, not all candles are created equal and candles are super expensive. Uh, the good ones, allegedly, but anymore, I'm not even sure. And one thing, because we talked about on Instagram, like I said, the signifiers of, you know, people's financial situation changing. 
And one I forgot about is they start to swipe up to candles well over $100, like Jumbo, Multi-Wick, Lalabo, Joe Malone, candles that it's just like, it makes me laugh because you were, it, you're literally burning money. I mean, I, I am all for a luxury experience, even if it's temporary. I actually deeply appreciate a luxury candle, but it's it's almost the perfect example of like disposable income in that like, this isn't going to last that long. And it is so damn expensive. And I just can't justify it. And all that to say, one of the ways you'll know I've made it, I, I will never probably tell you, um, but I will post a subtle video of uh, me lighting the black flame candle, which for me is this Baez Bay dip tea candle I bought in Paris in 2012 that the day that when, when a day comes that it will not pain me to burn my money in front of my very eyes for what will claims will last 20 hours that will certainly only last three or four. That's when, you know, I have thrown cautioned to low wind. Um, but one of the reasons I love uh, the topic of candles on the Internet is because the reviews are hilarious, good or bad. The descriptions are hilarious. They're more pretentious than wine somehow. Speaking of wine, lost in your current like a priceless wine, that's a genius play on word lyric of Taylor Swift's in the song Willow. And lost in your current sounds like C-U-R-R-E-N-T, but it's a play on with current C-U-R-R-A-N-T, which is a common tasting note in wine and also happens to be the berry in the bay candle. It's the description is... (laughs) This is what I mean. This is what I mean. It is so, these are so amazingly douchey. They make me laugh so hard. I love pretentious descriptions of things. Like this is one review from a blogger. Bay is the unofficial ambiance scent of Soigné Paris. Its name may translate to berries, but the scent itself is far from a fruity lip gloss. Rather, it is a sophisticated marriage of black currant leaves and Bulgarian rose. Like, What? <laughs> I, I, but here's the thing. I love it. I love flowery language. Literally. I, I mean, God forbid somebody mistakes it for a Romanian rose. It, they need to know it's Bulgarian. And in that it's not a blend. It's, it's a marriage with uh, black currant. Diptyque specifically says the reason it's so special is because some of the black bunches of the black currants leaves are left on. And that's what really allows for the, the, the synergy of the rose scent uh, with the fruitier scent. I pick up on absolutely none of that. To me, it just, it smells rich. It just, it smells like the perfume of a person I walk by who has like a pressed pant, a white blouse with some sort of neck adornment, be it a a pussy bow or a turtleneck or I don't know, some sort of volume at the neck with a lot of makeup on. And somehow they have no residue on their shirt and somehow they've been like sitting all day and they don't have any wrinkles in their pants and they're also wearing a really uncomfortable looking high heel in broad daylight in the city over the subway grates and such which is just not something you see often because most people that live here like bring a change of shoes and I just look at these people that smell fresh that look pressed and I'm impressed because I don't get how like I just feel like no matter what I do in life I always look a little disheveled it's very hard to maintain that air of like freshly ready. The person I am when I walk out of the house fresh is not the person I come home as. And I don't know what happens during the day. I've tried the Laura Mercier powder. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think dip tea candles are funny. I think the Labo candles are funny. I um, 
went to a candle making class this past weekend, which made me think about this. It wasn't a class. It was like a place where you just make your own signature scented candle. It was hard. It was really hard. You had to smell like a hundred things through a mask uh, and then like narrow it down to six and then three with the base. And I picked the weirdest sense. One of them was old books. They were like, are you sure you like old books and pear? And I'm like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> um, I ended up going with a pretty false scent and called it fall too well because I am a caricature of myself. Uh, but it was fun. It was very sweet of my husband because I, I'm a little frustrated having to leave my apartment for like showings cause it's for sale. It's a whole thing. Um, and so we like have to leave our own home and have strangers like walk through it for hours on Saturday, which is just frustrating. We have to take the dog to camp because like, you know, he's not really great uh, shopping and, and dining, you know, dining places. He will take food out of somebody else's mouth. We're working on it. Um, it's just a hassle. But anyways, I thought it was very nice of Greg to plan that. And I had a great time and I learned a lot about candles. And I was like, you know what? I've been so in- invested in so much uh, online candle drama, but never really took the time to learn the ins and outs. One of the reviews I read on Nordstrom uh, about <laughs> Diptyque, where is it? We always bought mid-priced candles in the past, but now that I've come to learn the value of material items and appreciate the artistry of designer goods, I've realized the importance of quality of life purchases such as this Joe Malone. Oh, it was a Joe Malone candle. This Joe Malone luxury candle. This candle is $400. Four zero zero. When you were a teenager, you would buy a certain chain mail lingerie brand scented lotions, but you would hardly put that poison on your body now. Why should your home scents be any different? This was originally purchased as a pick-me-up after a bad day at the spa. <laughs> but I decided to buy one for all of my friends and spread the joy of true aroma luxury. A perfect gift for an amazingly luxe smellscape. It's a Jo Malone pomegranate noir candle for $495. Not even, I thought it was $400. $500. One <laughs> of my favorite reviews, just because, I, I, you know, it's descriptive at least. At least it's a product, not a person. Uh, <laughs> don't wait. If you get within five inches of this candle, it smells like mistakes and five day old bonfire laundry. What's bonfire laundry? Don't buy this. This was fraudulent. Anyone who was saying this is a great candle can't be trusted. You know, they were trying to be cheap like me. So either they're embarrassed that this dumb purchase or they're ignorant to what a $75 candle smells like. And either way, everyone loses. Give me, give me my money back posers. You know, I haven't heard the word posers. So using the word posers is like when Bethany showed up to Berkshire's Christmas wearing that like um, chilling with my snowmies sweater. And she was like, you get it? Chilling with my homies. It, like when people use vernacular, that's just it's not even like it's not vintage old. It's not like ironic old. It's just like old <laughs> posers. <laughs> okay, I, I need to move on to... Uh, Another example of internet drama that I think is was too easily forgotten. So the year is 2015. And there is an allegedly promising new singer popping up on social media named Lucia Cole. It's spelled like uh, St. Lucia, like Lucia, L-U-C-I-A. But in, and then in Italian, it would be Lucia. I think people on the internet pronounced it Lucia. I'll go with that. Um... I would try harder if, uh, but you'll understand in a minute why I'm not over-focusing on pronunciation of this person's name, because it doesn't matter. Um, so uh, this is, she appeared to be a promising new singer, 
and uh, she had a really good album. She was garnering attention of, of uh, you know, fans of Ariana Grande, of, of Mariah Carey, of um, uh, Jessica Simpson, of, of many others. And uh, all was going well. And, and we thought she was about to take off until two teenage Ariana Grande fans blew the case wide open. And I'll tell you more about in a second how this uh, young woman duped many, many people, including some celebrities, into thinking she was the next big up-and-coming uh, 90s, early 2000s style uh, pop diva and the great lengths she went to to try to uh, pretend this was the case. First, if you'll allow me to thank our final sponsors that are allowing this episode to happen. The first being Rothy's. Rothy's, you know I love Rothy's, 76,976,191 water bottles have been repurposed to make their sustainably crafted and machine washable shoes and bags. They also sell masks. They have the cutest stuff. It's insanely comfortable and it just makes getting dressed easy. They make super stylish, sustainable shoes and bags uh, crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. And they are famously known for having zero break-in period. And this is legitimate and something that really pains me with a lot of like ballet flats and loafers, but they have this seamlessly knit to shape design and so many styles to choose from. Actually, they, uh, I don't know if this is new or not, but I was browsing as I do. And they have the cutest pair of shoes called, it's the collection is called The Knot. And they're kind of like a popular style of sandal right now, but kind of done in their own way. And they're like a knotted sandal that's like a slip-on. And normally I would look at these shoes and just agonize over knowing that the break-in period will be horrendous, especially this past year. As we, I haven't really been wearing uncomfortable shoes. I wore heels last night and it was like, I felt so <laughs> off kilter because we've just been inside. Um, but yeah, the knot with no break-in period. I mean, this is legitimately the dream. I'm also eyeing their um, lace-up sneakers right now. I have a pair of like booties and they also have an adorable Mary Jane that's like an off-duty ballerina meets effortless chic in this like contemporary style that's super cute. Anyways, highly recommend you check it out. Uh, but check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash be there in five. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash be there in five. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash be there in five today. Last but not least, we have BetterHelp. A lot of you guys have reached out saying that you've started using BetterHelp. And I'm really excited because I really care about this advertiser. And I really think it's important and convenient and affordable and I just want to support them until the end. Um, BetterHelp uh, is a service that basically matches you with, uh, they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist or uh, counselor. It's not self-help and you can kind of connect in a safe and private online environment that's super convenient. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting help is like researching who's in network and getting yourself there and then like anticipation in the waiting room and worse, if it's not the right match, feeling like you have to start from square one. But this is super convenient in that they match you online. You can switch therapists anytime very easily. You can message your counselor anytime, which is kind of great for ad hoc as needed advice. You get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. They're very committed to facilitating therapeutic matches, um, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Whether you want to address stress, depression, anxiety, relationship issues. I, I need to talk to somebody about my sleeping problems. Um, anger management, family conflicts, grief, whatever it is, 
uh, they've licensed professional counselors who specialize in these different areas, which I think is a really important aspect of therapy too. That's often overlooked. It's just, you want to get in with a counselor in general that seems to have like good reviews and be a network, much less, you know, it takes so long to figure out who specializes. And this is a way to have their access to therapists across the country and not just limited to those in your local area. Anything you share is confidential. And um, I highly suggest, don't just listen to me, go check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. It is not a crisis line, but so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And I love that you can have access to specialists independent of your location. And I want you to start living a happier life today, whatever that means for you. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash be there in five. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be there in five. If you go to the Wikipedia page of Lucia Cole, or at least as it was at the time, it says Cole rose to fame. She was born May 5th, 1992. American singer, songwriter, model, and actress. Cole rose to fame at the age of five after singing with the prestigious Ford Modeling Agency and becoming one of the most popular child models of the 90s before transitioning to an acting career. In the music industry, she gained prominence as a hit songwriter for many mainstream artists, having written over 15 top 20 Billboard Hot 100 songs. She has written for many popular artists, including Mariah Carey, Beyonce, Ariana Grande, Christina Aguilera, Leona Lewis, and Jordan Sparks, among others. In total, she has contributed to the sell of over 15 million records worldwide. Cole possesses a soprano vocal range that spans approximately four octaves from E3 to D7 and can access the whistle register. Critics have cited that while her voice can be pop-friendly, her true strength remains in her melisma-tingled soul vocals, also stating that Cole's voice is most comfortable in her upper airy register, which she makes use of frequently. Stephen Thomas Erlewine from AllMusic stated that she packs a strong powerhouse voice and that she effortlessly hits notes in a stratosphere that other pop and R&B tarts don't jet near. And then, like, you know, Wikipedia site sources at the bottom, the sources were all kind of janky sites that were almost like GeoCities Angel Fire vibes. And it was like, former childhood starlet returns with new music. Remember 22-year-old starlet Lucia, Lucia Cole? During her childhood, she crossed every aspect of Hollywood, beginning a modeling career, which led to small cameo roles. Just as fast as her, as her career began, she seemed to have disappeared from the limelight. She went on to attend Arkansas, Arkansas State University, for which she graduated with a degree in social work. So yeah, to like kind of music heads, if you will, on Twitter, um, she seemed like this promising up-and-coming R&B singer. She was tweeting all the time. She had this very strong, like, pop divas style voice, a very popular Twitter account. She had the Wikipedia page I just read. She had songs on iTunes, uh, I think Spotify, um, Tidal. She allegedly collaborated with Drake and Ariana Grande, and there was, like, message boards about her and how she was dating an NFL player named Kenny Vaccaro. I don't know if that's right. Um, I don't know NFL players very well. Uh, and anyway, her album on iTunes that everybody loved was called Innocence. And she had these songs like Gonna Be Your Love, All That Matters, Never Heart, Imagination, What Love Is Forever in Your Eyes, Fall in Love Again, um, you know, all sorts of uh, songs and kind of like made some traction because like to give context to like how far she penetrated uh, in in the Twitterverse, like at one point Shaq, like Shaquille O'Neal um, tweeted saying, support at Sing Lucia Cole, new album, Innocence, available now, link to it. Can you say new Mariah Carey, it's fire. And then 
she responds back calling him her godfather um and how she talks to him about kenny and says long talks with my uncle shack make me bring bring me some type of clarity it's this whole thing and then she also kind of uh, talks openly about these scandals like her and her nfl player boyfriend saying did i write the bulk of songs on innocence about kenny um obviously since that's who i've been in a relationship with uh there's all sorts of like forum topics about kenny being caught cheating on her and she was like or so so kenny cheating on the mother of his child with lucia there are all these message words talking about her she had dropped like a exclusive release on title kelly clarkson's which wikipedia page mentioned her um mariah carey's wikipedia page at one point mentioned her title favorited her comment like everything kind of seemed uh legit and she had like some quote-unquote interviews on the internet talking about being in tyler perry's next move uh, movie she just kind of had this like random media takeover and in another interview she talked about being signed to universal yet her name was nowhere to be found on the universal site and the woman interviewing her probably just got an email like asking her um like an email from lucia saying i want an interview and when you look somebody up on Wikipedia and see like enough stuff that's a top hit, you're like, okay, it must be legit. Like I would probably feel um, the same way. And in this interview, it's like, who's going to be featured on your new album? And Lucia says, me and Ariana Grande and Drake. She says, how is it working with Ariana since there's this Mariah Carey influence you both share? What was it like working with her? Lucia says, it was awesome. I've worked with Ariana in the past on her first album and her second album. So we've been knowing each other for a while. And I think she has an amazing voice. And I think it's amazing that she's kind of bringing back that 90s influence to mainstream pop. Um, and she said, how is it getting to work with Mariah Carey? Lucia says, it was amazing. You know, it was an incredible experience. And she was so nice in person. I thought she may have a little diva-ish in her, but she was such a sweet person to work with. When I was a little girl, I used to write her letters. She tells me she remembers reading the letters and it was just an amazing experience. She tweets a bunch of stuff, but I should be a presenter at the Teen Choice Awards. And then at one point, Trey Songs follows her. And but Lucia had tweeted like before, I don't know, uh, several months or years before that Trey didn't want to work with her. So there was like beef there. So people were really interested in that. Her Twitter, um, she had 64,000 followers and her Twitter uh, bio said platinum selling songwriter, singer, Innocence EP um, had business contact booking at mediaartistagency.com. And uh, anyways, just had all of this stuff. Anyway, so she was everywhere. There was so much coverage of her. There were interviews. She was on every music site. People were retreating and responding to her commentary about her relationship with the NFL. At one point, Mara Wilson of Matilda fame said, you know, asked people to support her. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, at one point, these two people that are uh, self-proclaimed Arian, Arian, Arianators, uh, Ariana Grande diehard fans, um, they were like they were paying attention because they kind of scan like Ariana Grande news, I guess, and their attention was caught. And now I'm looking at a BuzzFeed article about this um, when she tweeted that Ariana Grande would appear on her upcoming album. And one of the teens said, it was really interesting because I never heard the name before. And I'm kind of a music head, so usually I know a lot about up-and-coming artists, and dear not. They started to get suspicious when he looked at her Twitter. Her bio said that she was a platinum singer-songwriter, and then she was barely coming out with a debut album, and that didn't add up to me. 
Then I run on her Wikipedia, and there were a lot of things on her page that made it seem like she could have written it herself. And so he searched her on YouTube and started listening to a few of her songs, and he liked it. She had insane vocals, a really strong voice, and like a 90s vibe that was actually like Mariah Carey. Um, But he felt like it sounded like somebody else. And realized he kind of had she kind of had a similar voice to Jessica Simpson, but Jessica Simpson in the '90s, like J- Jessica Simpson isn't Taylor Swift in that she wasn't an album artist. Like we all know Taylor Swift's dis- discography, left, right, up, down. Um, but you know, I wouldn't necessarily know the non-single, uh, single, the the non-unreleased songs that weren't singles on like Sweet Kisses, right? Um, and so with this, these people kept searching and they were looking at the songs on Lucia's album, Innocence, and realized they were slightly altered titles um, of unreleased Jessica Simpson songs. So Lucia's song, Faith in Me, was the exact song that was Jessica Simpson's, Your Faith in Me. And the song lyrics were an exact match. Um, and they go through song to song and they realize Lucia had uploaded an entire Jessica Simpson album to iTunes and pass it off as her own. And they start DMing other Arianators to be like, this doesn't seem legit. This is so weird. And uh, a pretty large fan account tweeted about it. And this is kind of what blew the whole story um, wide open. And they kind of started trolling her saying like, what's your opinion on Jessica Simpson? And Lucia would respond like, love her. She was so underrated. Um, I wish I could play you the songs, but the links are broken now. But they're literally just Jessica Simpson old album songs. Um, And then people started to, like, look more into, like, the media and coverage about this person. And on message boards, people realized that the photos of Lucia were photos of this uh, model named Reese Cromwell, who's a model and swimwear designer. And some, like, niche... Uh, Tumblr blog started to deep dive at one called uh, Pop Culture Died in 2009 or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pop Culture Died in 2009. So Lucia's Twitter account, come to find out other, for the further investigation, it had 64,000 followers, but 1% were real, 448. <laughs> um, and one of the things that made her so believable was like her ability to get interviews. Um, and eventually like they did ask when it started to come out like this was probably not a real artist later on they had asked um the person that interviewed her and said we did vet her thoroughly we fact-checked she stated she had a previous contract with sony rca we spoke with them they didn't have any record of her at that point we had already interviewed her and thought well she's a nice story it's a pulled up by her bootstraps positive story she's a new deal with universal so we checked with them and they didn't get back to us by press time um, so she was kind of given the benefit of the doubt because her story was interesting. And um, the night she was exposed formally by all these Ariana Grande fans, she like so at the same time, like her albums and singles got pulled from iTunes and Amazon. Nobody knew if it was like Lucia because she got caught, if it was Jessica Simpson or iTunes or, or what it was. Um, but according to NPR, no more than five copies were sold of any of her songs. But then she posted a series of tweets of her looking very modely. And it says, when you have achieved inner peace, no one can take it away from you. 
And then she did like an iPhone note screenshot message that said, let's begin at the beginning. My mother and father gave me up as a child. I was tossed from one random family to another, never really being able to know stability. All throughout my life, I grew up out of place, being abused if I spoke up sexually assaulted. Eventually, I made it to college. And during this time, I was just on one account, just as a type of way to escape my reality for a little bit. I never intended on meeting anyone from the account. In September of 2013, Trey Songs randomly followed me and I was shocked out of my mind. We didn't really start speaking a lot until November when he called me for my birthday. From that point on, we talked on the phone and texted every day. It was something that I had never known before. The things he would say genuinely made me feel loved and he ca- like he cared. This went on for a little over a year, and of course, he eventually broke it off after that time due to me never being able to meet. I mean, he'd repeatedly tell me how he wanted to make love to me and whatnot, and I guess his patience ran out. When that happened, my whole world fell apart. He was literally the only person I had left in this world. I went into pure depression. I stopped attending classes and interacting with everyone. I didn't know how to go on. I went into pure... Oh, I didn't... A few months later, I started with new accounts to try and once again start talking to Trey. And I've been trying nonstop because I don't know who else I can turn to. I apologize to anyone I hurt. Jessica, the record label, the interviewers. I realize now that this is no way to live. So I will be ending my life within a couple of hours. Whether you hate me or not, my intentions were never for all of this to happen. Be blessed, XOXO. If I can teach one lesson with my life, it would be to please love yourself and be strong. Truth. Sorry, at Trey Songs. And then she deleted her account. It said, truly, Lucia does not exist. So basically, this person went to great lengths to make themselves seem like a legitimate artist, score interviews, wrote their own Wikipedia page, put Jessica Simpson's songs on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify title, um, had celebrities following her. Trey songs, I think, followed her back. Shaq talked to her, all these things. Um she was using photos of a model named Reese, and when she got caught in a larger scale and her music got taken down, she essentially, via that iPhone note, just admitted that it was a catfishing scam just to get back at Trey Songs, who ghosted her on another Twitter account that we don't know if it was a catfish or not, but I assume it was. And then ultimately says she's going to end her life, which is obviously terrible and very sad, except this is not a real person. Um, this is the weird thing about catfishing is... The people are obviously unwell behind it, right, to like run these scams and like try to take people down along the way. And what fascinates me is when people end the catfish by allegedly having the person that they're pretending to be die. And that's exactly what happened with Manti Teo. The only two weeks I watched football in my life was when Manti Teo, um, remember, like he was playing, he was like up for the Heisman, I think. He was playing a... I remember watching the football game. He played for Notre Dame. And I remember the announcers being like, he found out his grandmother died last weekend. And on Monday, his girlfriend died of leukemia. It was this whole story. His family and his brother and everyone talked about his um, girlfriend, how sad it was. She had allegedly had leukemia, then got into a car accident and then uh, died due to complications. And it was this whole thing. And it turned out that like this guy, Manti, had met like maybe once or twice. That was either a distant cousin or a cousin of somebody new was catfishing him, pretending to be this person that was a live woman who eventually like GMA interviewed or something. I bet the story's kind of been a while now, but I talked about this in my live show, so I won't repeat all of it. But um, I, I, I came across it because Manti Teo recently got married and I was like, wow, I haven't heard or thought about that name in so long. But that was a really exciting time in football. <laughs> anyway, so... Yeah, it was. But the thing that was so crazy about the Manti Teo case is he was so like revered as this great guy. He's Mormon. He is, um, I think, native to Hawaii and uh, was a talented football player. But like 
he and his whole family kind of like played along when they had, none of them had ever met this woman. And the family didn't, I guess, realize that he hadn't met her. And the, bro the brother said they had met her. And Manti Teo didn't really like allude to anybody that they had never met, that this maybe wasn't that serious, that he wasn't really sure about the origins of the whereabouts of this person. Um, and the whole time it was this dude he like vaguely knew. And he, he bailed on a lot of interviews at the time. And I think ESPN's maybe doing a documentary about him now or that will air soon or maybe did. I don't remember. Again, garbage journalist. But Manti Teo was just one of those fascinating examples of like, why not just if you're if you're a catfish person, just ghost the other person. Why do you have to kill the person off and put them through more torture of them grieving a person's fake death? Like, I just I don't understand that at all. But alas, catfishing in and of itself isn't logical. Um, but yeah, brush up on Manti Teo again if you forgot about that, because it's like kind of a crazy story. And it, the level of detail that went into describing this girlfriend and um, feeding into Manti Teo's grief relative to like how he kind of backtracked afterwards is still super weird to me. But he did marry a young lady named Jovi last fall. So that's exciting for him. Anyway, so this, yeah, Lucia got called out, wrote that message, which is obviously like sad and scary, but people also know it was a, was not a real person. Um, and an anonymous person messaged the pop culture died Tumblr saying the, the, per, the girl behind the Lucia account isn't going anywhere. She changed her, um, handle to at celeb underscore knowledge, uh, and her Twitter account to a woman named Soraya. And she's tweeting from that account. Last tweet was about 30 minutes ago. Glad the account is done with, which she most likely isn't done since she changes her account names a lot. Um, and so the guy behind the blog message these new accounts they immediately block him they say that she's a new york model um using other models photos and like while allegedly lucia was like going down and closing down and meeting uh, her demise a new identity had already popped up and it was like the story never ended like the, she would just pop up in different accounts and this guy would get tips and message them and just get blocked and it kind of was like inconclusive because nobody found out uh, who she was. And then two years later, Lucia made a comeback under a new identity and stole another artist's music. But this time the guy on the Tumblr blog found out who was behind all of it. Someone alerted him to a new account of an RCA record singer songwriter. that was like a fashion designer from Louisiana and LSU alum <clears throat> named Nala Rowe. And uh, the blogger was like, I, I thought everything about the way she wrote and the profile, the photos was very Lucia. And this was two years later. Um, it was stolen, uh, from the same girl, the model photos were stolen from the same, uh, girl from Lucia's era as a, another pop star, uh, Reese Cromwell. And, um, when you run ran like a Twitter audit, it was like uh, twenty one. Only twenty one percent of her following was real, and one hundred sixty nine thousand were fake. Meaning, which would make forty three thousand real. Which I don't even know how she would get forty three thousand. And she had all these like dedicated fans, but like of an artist nobody had heard of. And then um, there, like there would be fans, like uh, fan accounts, like uh, Nala Rogue World. <laughs> And the Nala Row world, her like Taylor Nation, started talking about this football player, Kenny. And um, she started tweeting about her music called like Do Me Right. 
and uh, would start started tweeting at Trey songs. Again, this is two years later. And like another fan account, Love Nala Rowe, was just like doing updates like, oh my gosh, did you see Nala followed at Trey songs? Uh, waiting on at Nala Roach and at Trey Songs to do a song together like, and it was a meme of like Lisa Turtle waiting for something. Rumor Mill, at Nala Roe releasing a new single between this week and next week. Um, and allegedly the song was going to be called My Lips Remix by Nala Roe and Trey Songs. And this time, like, so when she dropped her singles and her album, it was called My Destiny. And it was on iTunes. She had songs like My Lips, Hysteria, Do Me Right, Damage Control, How, Lost in You, Only One Beautiful, <clears throat> blah, blah, blah. Um, and when people listened to this, assuming it was Lucia, because like, the only people she followed were the same people. It was Trey songs. It was that football player. Like, so random. So this time when people were listening to the music, it wasn't Jessica Simpson. I think she realized that was a little too recognizable. So she picked somebody with a great voice with a lesser known discography of non-singles. Um, and when you Google the lips to her hit song, Lick My Lips, they were indeed a song off an album by Catherine McPhee. Um, and also she had all these videos that were allegedly her where she'd take clips of Reese, the model she was pretending to be on MTV's Girl Code, and would just cut out the part where Reese was saying her name and pretend it was her. She made a fake MTV uh, girl's guide page for the show that pretended to have her interviewing on there. And um, I don't know, fake this whole life as a designer slash uh, pop star and just kept cutting out the openings of the other girls uh, videos. And she uploaded a lot of her stolen music to a page called 90s Throwback. Um, even though like her music was allegedly, uh, brand new. And then she, on a Wikipedia page, uh, tried to create, uh, like a, she created a faked controversy about her battle with Clive Davis, um, and how she was having this big comeback after eight years of return to the pop music world. Like this hasn't been seen since Britney's 2008 journey from Cedar sinai psychiatric ward to the VMA stage. The Wikipedia page was Nala Giselle Rowe. She's an American pop singer, songwriter, fashion model, fashion designer, and actress. She rose to prominence as a teenager being discovered by music executive Clive Davis in 2005. Um, blah, blah, blah. Her self-titled debut album sold 2 million copies. Uh, top 20 hit, Typical Love Story. Upon release of the album, Rowe's vocal abilities were highly praised compared to Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. She's known for her four-octave vocal range power and melismatic stink singing style. Um, there's this whole story of her early life, every single era of her career, her artistry, there are references and she has interviews. It says Nala Rowe exclusive talks, new EP, my destiny, Mariah Carey and Odell Beckham Jr. January, 2016. Um, and does this whole interview with this website, uh, talking about how she's mini Mariah Carey. And she also did a sit down with a uh, site called Pop Music Insider. And they talked about how Nala Rowe cries while talking about Kenny and releases a heartbreaking song, Lost You. It said former American pop sweetheart Nala Rowe released a heartbreaking open letter detailing the reasoning behind her absence from the music industry. A main subject of the letter was concerning her stifled relationship with New Orleans Saint star Kenny. Um, and then she released a formal statement about Kenny. And the, Nala had like a ton of interviews on these different websites. 
the guy behind the Tumblr blog, Pop Culture Died, was like, uh, noticed on one page that there was kind of a lorem ipsum type thing, like a default text that like a reputable site wouldn't leave in pop insider or whatever. And then like, I think went to look at the host and it was Wix and it was like a really default template of one of their websites. And it turned out she, instead of like dupe making forums for herself and like Reddit or lipstick alley, this time she just completely made fake websites and interviewed herself <laughs> like so much effort. And then, um, they just highlight some of her best tweets. Like, I think I'm going to join Christian Mingle. Uh, everyone always asks me what's my favorite song. It's got to be Got Each Other, best song I've ever written. All this unnecessary strife and drama. I just sit back and mind my business. Who's about to annoy everyone at the airport with really loud Christmas music? If you're lonely for the holidays or getting over heartbreak, I think my album could help. Get a sneak peek at my EP while you stream my last album on Tidal. Every day is a blessing. Handling business, but people taking pictures, being annoyed by paparazzi pictures of her. But they're pictures of this model, Reese. I get to see my twinny at Adriana Lima tonight at the VS Fashion Show. She says she's friends with Beyonce. But, like, Trey Songs needs to, like, this, it's, I mean, it's alarming. She's doing all of this to stalk Trey Songs. And after tweets that, like, sound kind of normal, she just has a bunch about Trey Songs. Um... Like, uh, at Trey Songs, why don't you open my Snapchats and accept my love? I've been like, Trey, you make me lick my lips. You're my favorite flavor. When we kiss, I want to savor every drop of it. At Trey Songs, she gone pull through. God told me, I love you. In my prayers bay, sure, it's an incredible feeling to have your love. And then more stalkerish tweets with, I'm just at the Saints game to see at Kenny Vaccaro play. And um, my mother wants to see everyone play, I guess. Where are you at, Kenny? Am I the only one that feels that? is if at Kenny would be the prettier person in any relationship he's in. Um, and Beyonce's mom allegedly was like, uh, it said when on Beyonce's mom's birthday, it said happy birthday to this beauty whom has always loved and supported my whiny self since diapers. Love mama Tina. And it's a picture of Beyonce's mom. Anyway, so this blog pop culture died in 2009, did this story in 2016. Um, and, she caught wind of it and changed her Twitter handle, and then it was kind of dropped because it was just like more of the same. But then she started up a new identity called Sarai uh, Gebru, um, and was tweeting like was another model tweeting all these celebrities about her album, tweeting at Trey songs, was posting pictures of other people's family, saying it was her family. Posted about her new song called How Long, and when you listen to How Long, it wasn't Catherine McPhee, it wasn't Jessica Simpson. Uh, when you look up the lyrics, it is from the girl band Dream of He Loves You Not fame. He loves me. He loves you not. The song my pants famously split to on the eighth grade talent show. Anyways, guys, this keeps going and going. And she made her own album art for Soraya, put all of Dream's non-unreleased songs on iTunes, had rave reviews, had her own Wikipedia page. The whole effing thing. She launched a lip gloss line, allegedly. And... Uh, planted stories that Diddy was cheating on Cassie with her, this like random singer. Um, and ironically, so she stole music from Dream, but they were assigned to Diddy's label. <laughs> um, and anyway, so this person keeps digging. I think they sent a management to her like alleged talent manager, Susan at SusanWaltersTalent.com. Uh, and 
eventually there was one of the websites that this person like had stuff on that when you looked up the um or the ownership of the domain like you can pay extra money on GoDaddy or whatever to kind of have it be blinded but this person um put down an address in Louisiana keep in mind this person Soraya had like articles about her 10 million dollar net worth and blah 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 and um the domain was bought July 23rd, four days after Lucia was exposed. And the IP address behind the site um, is the same area of Louisiana as Lucia. And her house on Google Maps is like a very, very small, um, like single level home in Louisiana. And so like it's they kind of nailed down who this person was. I don't know if they knew who they were, but they could see where they lived and that it was the same person behind all of these accounts. And then when you search more about her, like the same journalist who interviewed Lucia that was like so angry that she got catfished because like Universal didn't respond or whatever, was interviewed Soraya. It's so crazy. This time it wasn't like Shaq and Co. interviewing them. It was um, the only like famous account that tweeted at this woman was uh, Waffle House and uh, anyways, it turns out that when you look up that address, they found like a criminal record uh, for this person that lives there named Aisha. And through, and there's also a criminal record for this person's sister that you found in like a generic Google search and that her sister went missing for a week. So there was like news articles about her. And through those news articles, they like traced back through Facebook and found Aisha, who is a real person and a woman in her 30s. And has a job and literally just spent all of her time creating fake personas to pretend she was a pop star for several years in an incredibly detailed manner that is kind of impressive. And even though getting caught over and over and over again would just move from persona to persona to persona, obsessively tweeting at Trey Songs and this Kenny dude. And even though this blog, Pop Culture Died in 2009, like, revealed all of this, I don't feel like it got a ton of media traction. And this woman, even though she knew that she had been found out, goes on to make several more accounts and steals more music. She makes another um, account and identity under a person and steals Shantae Brown's music. She then creates a person with Mariah Carey's identical life story named Zoraya and recycles more of Catherine McPhee's music. Um, like, does the whole thing. It makes the Twitter, makes websites, makes interviews, makes fan pages, puts her music absolutely everywhere, reviews it. Like, it's almost a formula. And at this point, it's, like, not exciting or interesting. She just keeps going and going. It's, like, it's, it's, it's such an interesting story to me because it's not, like, did it once shut it down. It's, like, an addiction. And, like, I haven't watched the show Catfish in a while, and I actually don't – I haven't done a ton of research on this subject. But, like, clearly she's not well. And, like, it's kind of sad. I mean, very sad. Um, but also it's, like, a little scary uh, – She's clearly trying to get through to certain people, and maybe one of her accounts really did have, like, an online relationship with Trey Songs. I don't know, you guys, but it's, like, it's, it was, like, a long-running con that involved some semi-famous people that was, like, really popular on the internet, but I just don't feel like it got the public traction it could have. Um, this was a little after Pete Catfish era uh, in 2016, but still interesting nonetheless. And anyway, I just wanted to share it because I feel like not enough people know that story. Um, so, yeah. They found who it was, but didn't phase her. And I hope she's gotten help or is okay now. I don't really want to look into it. Um, but nonetheless, be careful who you talk to on the internet. She was also on dating sites like OkCupid. I think a lot of people have catfished on these dating sites. I don't get the satisfaction these people get. It's so weird to me. 
And it's also weird how good people are at doing this stuff. Like, it's spooky. Anyway, I'm going to have to, I'm probably going to make a series out of this because I feel like there's not a lot of going on in like regular pop culture that I'm super interested in. And I just want to kind of dive into some random internet dramas. But I also like the responses for how you know an influencer's made it were like more robust than I expected. And I want to maybe do that in a separate episode. Sorry it took me so long to get these two topics out, but alas, that's par for the course. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll, we'll continue on and go over all the things. I also have like another cult internet deep dive story based on something I found out is like in my neighborhood. That's kind of interesting. Uh, but alas, we've run out of time, but I had a great time with you today talking about where, where do we even go through sexism and consumer packaged goods, cancel culture, favorite people named Eve. SAT words and pop songs? Uh, catfishes on the internet? Candle culture? Bath and Body Works? Yankee Candle? Did you guys know that Yankee Doodle Dandy, the origin of that, uh, British military officers wanted to, were like trying to mock how disorganized um, Americans were during the Revolutionary War? Uh, and they basically were trying to stereotype, um, you know, Yankees as, as these like simpletons who thought uh, they were really stylish by doing something silly like sticking a feather in their cap. And at the time, um, I, I imagine what is the diptyque of the Revolutionary War era was pasta, like importing Italian goods. And at the time, macaroni was like a luxury item. And uh, so by a simpleton that they're making fun of being disheveled, sticking a feather in his cap and calling it macaroni, it's like he was calling it something high end that it wasn't. And they're like making fun of him. And then we adopted it as uh, like a patriotic song. But I guess that's like me making, you know, tugboat hold the reins of twinkle lights that say too long need co-hosts on either side of the seal. Anyways, if I didn't tell you last week, we have merch. Go to be there in five.com, click shop. There's so much fun collegiate merch. I made this uh like coat of arms or that is like i love it so much that that's represents the podcast we have stuff that says breezy we have rush bti fi um the doormats are uh there's i think we have 150 left in stock maybe um and then i'm going to reassess based on how this round goes if you have any issues with your stuff email merch at be there in five.com and um also i put up two patreons this week one was uh, an apartment tour before I move or think I have to move. Um, that was kind of fun. And I talk about like housing and money and stuff. And the other one was um, I talked about, I called it Be There in Five Holes in a Fence. And it was like a 40 minute stream of consciousness about how I was kind of obsessing over Taylor Swift's, um, like all the clues maybe she's been dropping and how I'm like back on the trilogy train and I hate that I'm here, but alas, here we are. So I just kind of talk through all my rampant weird theories, but tonight she's dropping one of her songs from the vault that I think I've already heard. Cause she, there was like a leaked Google drive of like a bunch of her demo music that I didn't really, I didn't think it was leaked. I just thought they were old demo songs, but maybe I was participating in something uh, that I shouldn't have been, but I, I don't know. I think I got it off Tumblr. Anyway, you guys, good times all around. So patreon.com slash be there in five. If you want that, uh, be there in five.com. Check out merch and other things. All of our show like sponsors are on the website as well. And I will uh, be back next week with 
more stories, crowdsourced subcultures of the internet you guys like. I want to talk about Gen Z aesthetics, uh, like witch talk and dark academia, um, and uh, talk through some other things I've crowdsourced as well. We'll just, I just want to keep having fun. I am honored to keep you company today. Thank you for coming back. I hope you'll come back next week. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. I swear.